0: Welcome to A Table in the Corner, a podcast by me, Russell Wasserfor. As a writer, editor, photographer, and cookbook publisher, I've been working in the media space for over three decades. I've also run music venues and bars, owned a couple of restaurants, and eaten a lot of fabulous meals. Join me as I chat to the chefs, producers, and entrepreneurs who drive the food industry. Together, we'll dig deeper into our obsession with the business of eating. If you like the show, hitting follow really helps our numbers. You can also leave content ideas and comments on the Instagram page at a table in the corner. Today I'm speaking to Frank Dangeroux, chef and owner of the food barn. He looms large in the in the Cape Town culinary scene, in my view. Um, and I've been wanting to get this interview together for quite a while. And I'm very, very grateful that in the middle of season, in early January 2024, Frank Donjero has agreed to sit down and chat with me. Welcome, Frank. Thank you, Russell. How are you? Absolutely good, thank you. A little bit warm today. Um, the question should be, how are you? It's the middle of season. How's it been for you?
1: I, I love season. Apart from the, those two absolutely intense weeks, uh, the week that leads to Christmas and the one after. okay uh, Because it's just absolute mayhem and everybody is like... But otherwise, apart from that, I absolutely love season because all hands are on deck. Yes, everybody is here. Everybody is ready. And yeah. and then as a result, I can, I can take a step back almost. Really?
0: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you've you've got, listen, you've got a long pedigree in this industry. So so, so perhaps the the kind of legacy or, the, or or the training that you're giving people allows you to do that
1: to step back. So it's a combination, actually. Um, The the training has happened. It still happens regularly, all the time. It's an ongoing thing. But you know, I realized when I when I I realized when I opened the food barn, which was in two thousand and six, that if you're prepared to, if you want to improve your quality of life as a person, you have to sacrifice a ten percent. Of your own standard. So imagine your desired standard is hundred percent. If you if you prepare to settle for ninety percent, yeah, you can actually have a life because that's where all the chef command. That last remaining ten percent, that garnish that is not where it's supposed to be, the exact texture of this or this or that.
0: That's a that, what a fascinating perspective. I, I hadn't really yeah. thought about that, but in, but that. 10% where does that 10% fall through the cracks though? I mean well, if yeah. the garnish isn't right,
1: okay, but what if the soup goes out cold? Okay, so that's not even an that's not even a question in a 90%. That's in the in the 90%. So you're gonna get your 90% right. Okay, okay. You know, so there's a there's a there's a couple of non-negotiables in a 90%. Okay. But the 10% and let go. And often it's last minute things on the pass, or something that's not exactly in the middle, or it's, it's things that you can, I learned that I could let go.
0: Because I, I, I see, and we're going to get to this, because there's a whole kind of um, progression to how you've got to the food barn that I want to speak about as well, but I follow you on social media, and I see often that you're like surfing, or walking the dogs on the beach or Often. so so is that where that ten percent gets reclaimed for you? That's that's the ten percent you're talking about. Is well, that, that you, you you sacrifice the ten percent in order to get a hundred
1: percent of being able to surf yeah,
0: or absolutely
1: yeah? Yeah. I, I was surfing at half past five this morning and the calm, I was completely by myself. It was insane. It was just heaven. Amazing. So
0: let's go to that question that I wanted to ask you. About how you find yourself here because, um, Franck Dangeroux, you're uh, it. I mean, you don't put the accent on and you didn't make up the name, so you're not, you, you're not, you're French and you find yourself in South Africa having this wonderful life that you obviously enjoy. In, to, Surfing at five in the morning, surrounded by beautiful dogs. I mean, amazing an amazing house and a stunning restaurant that's really popular. Well, how did you find your way here?
1: So, wow, it's quite a long story. I'm gonna to have to, I'm gonna have to to shorten it a bit, merely. No, no, okay. Well, let's let's start like this. So, where where did you grow up? Grow up and why so I grew up I, I was born in Cannes in oh. the south of France uh, in a typical Provençal family both my grannies were incredible cooks my, both my, my my mom and my dad were both incredible cooks my dad dad's photographer and i've always i was born i was born even though none of my parents were in the hospitality industry or cooks or anything i was born to eat i actually was born to eat. <laughs> i love eating i love delicious food i love uh, looking at ingredients tasting things i've always have i always have it's really a thing that i've always loved and um I, I was always involved with my grand's cooking they always involved us the kids in kneading dough peeling things you know removing the stems of this or that if you know food was always a big deal there was yeah. always an, an opportunity an excuse to have a big meal in my family okay and uh, so we did um, I, w- I just wanted to know how to do things so i i, I decided to go to hotel school when i was 14 mm-hmm. because in France you can go you can actually you can finish your, your 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 study, your basic education, basic yep. education right. while you start a profession, as long as it's a, a profession that is linked to a craft. So I did that. And um, so I did my four years of hotel school, and then I got out of hotel school. I did really well. Not really that I was a diligent student. It's just that I loved cooking so much that I yes. it just was fun. And yeah. When you have fun, fun yeah. you do it and it's fun. It's fun. Okay. And then as a result of doing well, I, I was offered um, an internship at a three-star Michelin restaurant on the Riviera. Okay. And then I was catapulted straight before season in a three-star Michelin restaurant as a stagiaire. And then it just, you know, I was 17 years old. And then it, from then on, I never stopped. You never stopped. Okay. I just went from one three-star to another three-star to a two-star. And then for the first four years of my cooking life I just worked. And it's on the French Riviera so it's yeah, obviously busy and it's seasonal. Yeah, no, so it was it was brutal actually. Yeah, yeah. Really brutal, but lovely. Came to a point when I was in my early 20s, my late my late teens, early 20s, where I was completely burnt out. I didn't realize I was burnt out, okay. but I was. And I be, actually became ill. I had to stop working for a bit. So I started to travel and then I found myself Go heading heading for the Caribbean where a friend of mine was opening a restaurant in the Caribbean and then I went there and then we ran that restaurant together for two years. How did that do? Oh, amazing. It was such a success. It was crazy. Small restaurant. Thirty thirty five seater. Only open at night. But you I mean the caribbean that's paradise why did you even think of leaving the paradise because i can't live on an island uh-huh. i cannot live on a li- i realized living there everything i loved everything i loved, the, i love the tropics i love we surfed we dived we but i but i can't live on an island Yeah, i can't okay. i have to be able to get to get in a car and drive for four or five hours okay otherwise my mind is just not I
0: can't. So what did you do? Get out a map and look for somewhere you could drive four or five hours?
1: <laughs> and <you couldn't> <laughs> so yes. How did you come to <laughs> Africa? Actually, so I actually, I actually started to fly when I was there so I could get away. I started to fly with a friend of ours who who used to bring um, uh, ingredients, food, oh, from, from the neighboring island. You became a pilot? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I actually started to fly so I could get away. Get away from the island and feel with some you can't drive, on, and it's a circle. But you certainly can fly for four hours in one direction. So that's what I did. Being an island, obviously needed to fly in a lot of stuff, especially your support. So the, like, so the guy who used yeah. to fly with Laurent. It was that was his business. He had a, a little small fleet of uh, light aircraft, and yeah. he used to we used to go to neighboring islands or to or to Florida, yeah. sometimes uh, to get stuff.
0: This conversation is turning into. Fascination because you're this adventurous. He, I thought I was going to interview a chef, but I'm interviewing a pilot who flew from island to island. I mean, no wonder your surname is Dangereux.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know what? It's, thank goodness I didn't become an airline captain. Can you just imagine that uh, announcement? This know. is Captain Dangereux. Welcome <laughs> on board. I'm not good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that wouldn't <laughs> be good. No, no. But if you know, I mean, my name's supposed to be Danger Wasserfall like that couldn't spell danger well
1: wow.
0: <laughs> so how come you didn't peel off of the chefing and become a pilot permanently? what so, drew you back into the kitchen
1: while i was doing the flying so because while running this little restaurant my my friend my vincent he had to go back to France. so uh, the restaurant closed and i carried on flying with laurent and that was I was I basically was doing just that, and I actually thought like, shall I? What what do I do? Do I carry on, or and then and then an American couple hired me to cook for the summer for them. Okay, and I got in the in their kitchen. You should have seen that place, the house in Saint Barthélemy. I got into the kitchen; it was literally a professional kitchen in someone's house, and I started cooking for those people, and I loved it cooked and I cooked. so you got cooking. up again. yeah and i really loved my my cooking time and then and then one thing led to so actually almost immediately um i i came to south africa to meet my cousin uh, for christmas it was just a holiday and uh, i arrived here and i discovered this country and my eyes were like completely wide open i was just floored by the beauty of cape town i was hooked when was that shift so there'd been so the first trip was in like eighty seven, and then there was another trip in ninety and quick one, and then in ninety two mm. I came permanently. Well, I actually came not permanently. I came on holiday again, but one thing led to another, and that's when I met uh, Frank Swainston from eight. A- and then and then Frank basically said, "You please stay, and stay with me." I'm like. It um, was he had just started uh, the Aitzak restaurant. So, 8 Aitzak restaurant was the the restaurant, the main restaurant on the farm on Aitzak yes. farm. Yes, and then there was. I don't know, Do not you remember that property at all? I, I it was don't. beautiful. There was the big main house. There was a few cottages that were rooms rented. A big swimming pool with a the pool room, what they used to call it, which was mm-hmm. also the breakfast, the, pe- the area where people had breakfast. And then that was literally on the edge of the cricket pitch. And the owner asked me if I would please. Consider staying and and working out of the pool room, the breakfast room, to to offer a meal every day and every night to the hotel guest. So, because they, obviously the restaurant's closed, so there's no way for the guests to go. So I said, okay, cool, I'll do that with pleasure. And I started cooking for the hotel guest in the pool room and the breakfast room for a month and a half, and that's that's that is the venue where La Colombe was born. So I started to cook in there, and I love that little kitchen. Yes, and I love that poolside. And actually, I felt like I was back in Provence when I was there. The whole vibe made me feel like I was at home.
0: Cape Town, I think, does that because it has a very, almost European
1: Provencal vibe. No, absolutely. Yeah. So and Marlene came for for a meal, and I was cooking. I was actually cooking. It's funny enough. I had gone to all. I had worked in all those three-star Michelin restaurant, and I was cooking, you know, very, very fine dining food. But back then, uh, back in the pool room for the guests, I was making very simple stuff. Black like roast lamb, ratatouille, mm-hmm. like really simple, poor food. And people were like, oh my God, what is that? Yeah, yeah. And then I remember Marlene came, and she, she also had a meal. She said, bro, oh, we could got to do something. This is amazing. And so it, uh, La Colombe was born, actually. And now this is how it began. It, it began as the pool room, the breakfast room. So they found another venue for the breakfast. And I when we started to cook out of the pool room for lunch and dinner. I called it La Colombe because when you drive onto a farm, there is an old emblem that was the, 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 the emblem of the very original farm that was yes. there. And it's actually a, um, it's an engraving of a, of a dove. And La Colombe is the dog, so I'm just calling La Colombe because it was there all along. Mm. In, initially, it was exactly that: it was tables, break the bread at the table, pour your own wine, and then just like pour yourself food. And it was like that for the first year and a half. It sounds like
0: your Michelin star experience with working in those restaurants wasn't—it wasn't really what influenced opening La Colombe. Like you weren't looking for that level of rest. You were cooking simple prolosol stuff that
1: you grew up with yeah i was but but i wanted more and but so oh. what what happened is i didn't know i want more okay and i mean i was 23 24 you were 23 when you're like yeah. oh, really so I, I did i wasn't sure what i wanted you, 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 you don't know what you want when you're 24 <laughs> so i was just in a situation and i was full of energy and full of dreams and full of nonsense as well and but and then i started to cook because it felt comfortable it's a good place to start to cook what you're comfortable with and what you know is good so i started cooking that and it 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 went good and it was easy and people loved it and i enjoyed talking to people over the past because it was all open and then very quickly i started to complicate things unfortunately <laughs> I started to buy better plates, better looking plates. Get people to make me plates special way because I wanted. I built a wood oven that I wanted to do the bread in, and I built this and a that. And we started to buy equipment, I, and but it was great. I loved yeah. it, and you know they had so much money, so I had carte blanche. I okay, could, yeah, we could build, we could expand, we could grow, um, and then we kind of were pioneers a little bit. I mean, there was like along there was Grand Roche. There was Baton, but I mean, that was it. That was it.
0: That's where I'd like to get to, is how did the international market find you? Mm-hmm. Was it because of the guests that were there, were internationals, and they were going back and talking about this guy, Franck Dau-Jules. Do you know what it is?
1: It's actually, do you, the, 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 there was a novel called The Year in Provo. Yes, yes. It came um, out in the in late 90s. P- uh, Peter Mail Peter Mail. There we go, yeah. We became, we became busy because of that, because of that book and because of the fact that we were originally a Provence-style restaurant. I'm positive that's what happened. You know, there they were people visiting the Cape and Provence was just huge. And, and it took one season at La Pologne. And I already had started to plate food a little bit more. If, like, we would do a ratatouille, but it will be a presented ratatouille. didn't just, took off. It just took off. I mean, we're in Constantia. They also... Okay, so, so Peter mail's book, The Iron
0: Provence. fair enough, but there's something about Chef Franck that also
1: drove that, surely. Uh, pro- probably a, a bit of a, a bit of luck. I loved chatting to people at the end of service and sitting at the table and drinking wine with people. And th- the staff that started to work with me as well. Like, to give you an example, um, Adi uh Chris Allais, these guys, they were my barmans. You're kidding me. Custom Now these are these are rock star winemakers today. Adi Badenhorst was my barman. That's incredible. <laughs> but won't you phone him and
0: ask him if, if I can interview him? Because I, want, I really want to talk to him on the show as well.
1: But Judy, Adi's mom, was in the kitchen with me. She was in the kitchen with us because she was she, I, I had met her in eighty seven when I first came and she was a dear friend. And she wanted to work in the kitchen with me, and she lasted three months because she, it was just in, in intense. But she was in our kitchen. This is why I've been so
0: excited about talking to you because I was interviewing Kenneth from Olympia. I spoke to Charmaine, yeah. Lily of yeah. Chardonnay Deli, yeah. and there were these connections, these tendrils that go back to from Dageau. There's a sense in which you kind of kickstarted the restaurant scene in uh, the thought, Western yeah. Cape, I- and and, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, no, at no, his no, and no. and try to put you on a pedestal, but but it it must be incredible that, that from that start, for you to now look at what Luckalum has become, the international acclaim, what yeah. a, a number of restaurants yeah. that have opened up, the scene has grown enormously. How how did that happen?
1: It happened because we we were lucky to be in this in this place of the world in the early nineties. You could only find orange cheese or white cheese. You could only find iceberg lettuce. Right. You could only find parsley. Yeah. You could only find one kind of big tomato. Yeah. Ingredients were shit. Yeah, and suddenly a bunch of us started to say, "Hey, look at look at this! This terroir is incredible. Please, can we grow this? Please, can we grow that? Can we have shallots? Can we have rocket?" Can we look at more free ranges? Can we have, what about the cheeses? Who's making cheese? And we started asking questions. We were without knowing it, because we were passionate and excited. We were we were pioneering something. Yeah. And it was just, um, it was it just rolled it just rolled on. It happened. It really happened. Like I say, it's 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 just weird and incredible. But these, I remember, Chris. Was He was the most, he was not a good barman, Chris Alate. Okay. He was not a good barman. <laughs> but fuck, could he talk about wine at the table? Ah, yes. He was so passionate. He was just incredible. And he was already living his craft. Yes. He was tasting wine with people. He would literally taste with
0: people. And there's a sense as well in which this growth of these restaurants in the Western Cape also drove the wine industry. because Absolutely. You know, we were doing like Shiraz Cab. Uh, and and now, the, the contemporary restaurants that we now have that are at a global standard, the wine has to catch up. Yeah, definitely. And now we have this incredibly diverse offering in, in our wine.
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, I think it's. Uh, th- there's been a realization that everything is about terroir, whether it's the food we grow. Yes. The grapes we grow, the, 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 what, what the, the, the sheep and the grass and the cows eat, it's it's what under our feet. It's the soil. We look after that. We, we respect that. Oh. Everything that comes out is good. I mean, just recently, um,
0: I had a lunch. I was very fortunate to be invited to someone's birthday party at a muse farm. Oh, muse, yes. Who would even have dreamed that such a farm... In the middle of Bay? yeah. In the middle of Bay. But who would even have dreamed, even 10 years ago, that such a farm could actually be set up and thrive? Yeah. And be s- supplying all the restaurants. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And this this line of conversation actually makes me think that you're absolutely right. When I was growing up, all you could get was the yellow cheese and the one size tomato, and you could get a, an iceberg lettuce. But by the time we opened your l- table, the, the table at DeMay, I could feature little producers of, of heirloom tomatoes Don't or please. someone who was growing quail or whatever the case may be. Because nice, there nice. such. I
1: smuggled seeds in nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. From France and I brought them to Dieter Newman, who used to have salad and herbs in Berkeley. And she yes. used, she started to grow all all my all my herbs, all my salads, all my tomatoes. She did shallots and artichokes for us. Then we did it. We did it ourselves because there was nothing. So are the cops
0: still looking for you for that smuggling? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the cops. Yeah, I managed to evade them until now. Oh yes, okay. Well, well done. So we we're approaching a, a sort of a, a watershed in this chat, and there's so much more that I want to ask you about. So I think I'm going to have might have to divide it into two episodes. If that's okay, maybe yeah, maybe we do that. At some point, you left
1: Luckalom. Yeah, ten years of Luckalom. A lot happened in ten years, of course. And um, one of the things that happened is the accolades and the recognition. This happens, and it's incredible when it happened, yeah. because. It's recognition, it makes you feel fantastic. Uh, it also brings pressure, yeah, it brings expectation, yes, and that changes the game a little bit, yeah. As you were saying earlier, it does, it changes the nature of the restaurant a little bit, yeah. Um, and I and I grew tired of that, yeah. Um, wouldn't say that earlier. Oh
0: with, with the awards like when you, you it, yeah because I mean, people's expectations yeah. change with awards
1: and it's, they, it's wonderful it's wonderful to get awards yeah, it's really wonderful but there is there is a there is an underside to that reality yeah. there really is yeah and um first of all, when you get awarded best restaurant in South Africa for six years, it feels fucking amazing yeah and then when you don't you are devastated Of course, <laughs> and it's ridiculous it shouldn't be like that no but it is because that's what it is it's just what it is yeah and then and then the the the, the top 50 in the world came on the scene as well and then we were ranked 27th in the world in 2004, 2004. that's right yes okay um and uh, and uh, again, that was like, I, c- I couldn't even comprehend that. For me, uh, like, uh, we were ahead of restaurant where I had worked or I had dreamed of working as a, as a young chef. And I just actually could not compute, and I still can't, that the restaurant I'd created uh, with mates having fun had gone to that place, and I actually felt like a fraud. I felt no. like a fraud having... The like, cluster There are, are re- restaurants in France alone that are three star Michelin that I've been a three star Michelin for forty, fifty years in a row. And I was like twenty positions ahead of them in that ranking. So for me, I, I just couldn't. Couldn't yeah. I mean it I took it and it was wonderful and I went to London and I got my award and I met amazing people. I met ferron Adria, you know. Did, yeah, we had dinner together. It I mean it, it the opportunity was phenomenal. Yeah. But still to this day, I can't, I can't quite take this seriously. I can't quite. And then for me, it was a bit of a, I realized, wow. And then that's all people were interested in as well. When you yeah. come back from this, this is, that's it. That new number, that new achievement becomes everything. Yes. Oh, I, I got so tired of it. I got so tired of, of this, like, my God, where is food gone? Where is food gone? Where is the fr- yeah, yeah. Like what about the food? And what about simplicity? What about sitting at the table, having a glass of wine? Uh there's crumbs and the, there's something for it's not the end of the world, it's a fucking meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to reconnect with that. And that's why I created the food barn. The food bar. I wanted to have a restaurant where and also I had a young family, uh, at the time. I mean, right. my kids were my kids were now born and they were young. Yeah. And I wanted to create a place where I can go with them and yeah. have good food yeah yeah, you know, not to be stuck in a family restaurant where all you can have is burger and schnitzel <laughs> <laughs> or, or ribs, <laughs> ribs. Yeah. which are, I have to say sometimes it's killer to have that but you know I also wanted to have something a little bit more sophisticated
0: I think that there's so much that still want to speak to you about so I think that possibly the idea would be if we could stop this and do round two and do round two and then we can do a second episode if we can record a second episode sure okay right chef franck del thank you so much you're welcome um and i'm going to stop us there and let's move on to the next one thank you to my guest today and to all the creators innovators and sloggers who take the time to chat to me at a table in the corner thank you for listening and if you've enjoyed the show Please subscribe and leave a comment. Until we meet again, please consider what you eat and where it comes from. Most of all, support small business, consume sustainably, and wherever possible, buy local.